he stated very clearly that his purpose in telling these stories was first and foremost to tell good stories, but the deeper thing was they're going to experience a good story that's going to point them to Christ. But what does it all mean? It means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. If nothing else, people would finish it, and even if they didn't catch on, to the fact that the stone table scene was basically a representation of Christ on the cross. Well, great, they've still read a good story. And if the witch is to be finally defeated before bedtime, we must find the battle at once. But what he re really believed was that ultimately they would, they would catch on. And he did it in a way that used sort of a fairy tale motif to quicken the imagination, to bring it alive, to make us think sideways. He could come at it kind of head on, but more often than not, he came sideways with other characters and other plot lines that would highlight the life and work of Jesus. Look lively and sort yourselves. That was Paul McCusker introducing his major audio production based on the Chronicles of Narnia for Focus on the Family Radio Theater. Hi, I'm Charles Morris, and this is the Great Stories Podcast. In a little bit, you're going to hear more from Paul McCusker on how he brought all seven of the Narnia books to life. More than just books on tape, I'm fascinated by how he took a cinematic approach and made an astonishing experience for kids and adults to take in C.S. Lewis's classic books, books I used to read to my own children when they were little. I know you'll find this interview both entertaining but inspiring. And if you want to get your own collector's tin, a set of this Chronicles of Narnia audio drama, you can make a gift to Haven Ministries to receive your copy when you visit haventoday.org. More on that at the end of the episode. For now, I want you to hear a brief selection from the Chronicles of Narnia. And as you will hear, it's pure cinema of the mind. What? These are trees. Am I in a wood? But it doesn't make sense. I can see the wardrobe back through the trees even the daylight of the room. Shall I go forward? Hmm. I can always get back if anything goes wrong. I do wonder what that light is. In about ten minutes, she reached the source of the light. It's a lamppost! A little excerpt from The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe and Paul McCusker, you've had a long history doing this. Uh, focus on the family. Welcome. Well, thank you, Charles. It's good to be with you. It's so good to hear that set to an audio drama. I mean, I read the whole Chronicles of Narnia to my kids, and I hope every parent can do the same thing as well. And uh, then my wife read it through to the kids, and I just wish I had had your audio drama as well, because they would have, they would have been just enraptured one more time. Tell me a little bit about deciding to do this great work by C.S. Lewis. Well, when we, when we first started Focus on the Family Radio Theater, this was... 1996, we had our, our list of wanna-dos. There were just 
when Dave Arnold and I would sit together, we would talk about different stories that we wanted to tell. And uh, we started with uh, Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, that was a favorite. And Chronicles of Narnia was part of it. I mean, that was from the get-go. It was sort of, we've got to do the Chronicles of Narnia, if we can get permission. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how in the world do we get permission? And how do we go about that? Well, we then began discussions with Doug Gresham, who is C.S. Lewis's stepson. And um, turned out he was, he's a big fan of Focus on the Family and of Adventures in Odyssey. And uh, he, he was keen for us to do it, hmm. uh, even though the, the rest of the board and the people who make decisions really didn't know who we were. So there was a year or two, I can't remember how long it was, but there was some time before we could actually get the rights to do it. And then finally, we jumped in and got the rights to do all seven stories, not just one or you know a part of them, but all of them. And we were committed to doing them all. So... Uh, it was a great experience from the very beginning, and daunting. I have to admit, we we just kept thinking this could be the only, only opportunity we will ever have. So you to better get it right. This. We have to get it right. Well, and yes. for me, getting it right meant staying true to the source material. That I was not. I would never presume to second guess C.S. Lewis on his choices, and what he did. So for me, from the get go, it was translating it to audio drama, but staying true to the source material, as true as possible. Mm. Paul, I'm intrigued by what you're telling me because we live in an age where people say radio is dead. Now, I see the numbers for our program and other Christian radio programs. Listenership is not going down. Radio has actually survived. But radio drama, did anyone ever tell you nobody's going to listen to a radio drama? (laughs) Well, Adventures in Odyssey, when it started in 1987, before it even started, people said Dr. Dobson was crazy because nobody's <laughs> going to listen to audio drama. Kids aren't listening. It's the MTV generation back then. Yes. And uh, no one will listen. And of course, that proved not to be true, that there was a whole dynamic with radio and with the imagination and audio. And, and, and then even as we watched the success and, and people engaged... Then, of course, Apple and iTunes and this whole other sound revolution came Mm -hmm. along beyond radio. Mm -hmm. So even though the death of radio was certainly premature and remains one of those myths that simply hasn't proven true, radio is alive and well, it morphs, all of these technologies kind of morph into their strengths. And if they can't, then they will go the way of A-track tapes or something, but but for the most part, sound is with us and stays with us. So with the whole revolution behind iTunes or iPads, iPods, I mean, all of these things, there's been a, a resurrection of sound. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yes. Everything from broadcast to podcasts to audio drama. So I, I think it has a wonderful durability. Let's go back to something that you hinted at just a, a while ago when we started. The Chronicles of Narnia audio drama took five years to do all seven books. Mm -hmm. There's a spiritual side. You said you wanted to be true to Lewis. Let's talk about what that is, being true to the late C.S. Lewis. Well, I think for me, it's it's twofold. One is just staying true to the source material, meaning I'm staying true to what he wrote. Uh I'm not doing a Hollywood version of it saying, okay, I'm just going to use a percentage of what he wrote or a small percentage. I will dramatize what he wrote. In fact, our goal was for the experience to be as if 
somehow a microphone had magically gone into Narnia. Uh And we're hearing the characters, and they're speaking the lines that Lewis wrote as if they truly were their own lines, because, well, they, they are, because they're his characters. So we're in the studio, of course, and I've scripted all of these stories, and we recorded them over a period of time. But the other big thing that we hadn't really worked through was what animals sound like when they talk. Because we knew we had to get actors with voice types that would evoke the animals that they are. Is he a man? Aslan a man? (laughs) Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. And I do remember we were in recording one uh, one of the episodes and the actor who was playing the badger was in there and he began to deliver his lines and suddenly we, we sort of hit the button and said, well, wait a minute, that, that's, you're sounding very harsh. And he came back with, well, badgers are generally mean. And so it seems to me I should be sounding very kind of mean. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, a lion? Is he, is he quite safe? I said, yeah, but this is a good badger. He's on Aslan's side. So this, that, means, that means actually you're, you're not mean because the audience is going to think that you're evil or they're going to think you're a bad guy. So how about loyal and dependable and you're that kind of character? He said, okay, well, I'll do that. And then our engineer said, well, yeah, but isn't his voice a little bit in the upper range for this? Should we get him down and a little bit more growly? And we spent 15 minutes arguing and debating what a, what a loyal badger would sound like. And we had to do that with every animal in the whole thing, trying to figure out what a beaver would sound like and a horse. Sure, sure. And and all of that. Safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Behind that, of course, was Lewis's original intent. The reason he engaged in story at all in part, he was encouraged by uh, Tolkien, who, with whom he was great he was friends a good with friend. J.W.R. Yes, Tolkien, who one did of the Inklings, yeah. uh, Lord of the Rings. And there was a whole, I, I think they called it sort of an incarnational view that stories are often the best ways to communicate truth. Not agenda-driven stories, but that you're exploring the truth and you're bringing the truth to light through everything from kids' stories to grown-up stories or whatever it may be. And story is a great way to do it. And we, of course, we see that with what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus himself told right. lots of stories right. that are often more memorable than to our minds and imaginations than straight proclamation. So Lewis believed that. And then what he did with Narnia was take all of that theological and insightful understanding and then move that into the story realm, move that into Narnia, move that into Aslan and the situations and the characters. I think it's time, Paul, that uh, we maybe listen to just another little snippet out of this uh, radio theater of the mind, the Lewis uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, part of the Chronicles of Narnia. Do you have one scene in particular that you think would be worth our hearing just a, a little snippet of? It may well be Lucy going into the wardrobe and her oh, experience yes. with that. There's a lot behind that. I wonder if it's not. Oh, fur coats. I love fur coats. There was nothing Lucy liked so much as the smell and feel of fur. Mm. 
she immediately stepped into the wardrobe and got in among the coats and rubbed her face against them, leaving the door open, of course, because she knew that it was very foolish to shut oneself up into any wardrobe. Soon she went further in and found... Oh, there's a second row of coats. It was almost quite dark in there, and she kept her arms stretched out in front of her so as not to bump her face into the back of the wardrobe. She took a step further in, then two or three steps, always expecting to feel woodwork against the tips of her fingers, but she didn't. This must be a simply enormous wardrobe. What is that? Mothballs? It feels cold. This is very strange. Ouch! Lucy was no longer rubbing her face against soft fur, but against something hard and rough and even prickly. It feels like branches of trees. And then she saw that there was a light ahead of her, not a few inches away where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been, but a long way off. Something cold and soft was falling on her. A moment later, she found that she was standing in the middle of a wood at night time with snow under her feet and snowflakes falling through the air. A little excerpt of a little girl heading into a wardrobe. And that's kind of early days in the Chronicles of Narnia. Paul McCusker, the director and writer of an audio drama series. What do you make of what we just heard? And including there's that there's that lamp when you first reach the <laughs> land of Narnia. Well, that's the, there's some fascinating things about this. One in particular is that the image of this lamp, this street lamp in the middle of the forest, was one of the earliest images that Lewis had in his mind that would later become the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm. And he, I think he even says it started with this image. It started with a picture, and he talks about that. And then it was a question in his mind of, of what, what in the world is a street lamp doing in the middle of a, a forest, and what happens there? And then from there, he began to work through the things that would happen next, which is, of course meeting Tumnus, Mr. Tumnus, and he's carrying packages and an umbrella. And, and these images began to kind of coalesce in his mind and then form into a story. And, and that's one of the fascinating parts of it. And then the other has to do with this introduction of another reality. And this is huge for Chronicles of Narnia. And, and so huge, in fact, that I know that people wrote to us after listening to the audio drama, and they would write to us about the dramas, or they would write about the original books. And I remember one gentleman writing in and saying that the possibility that there was some other reality, something other than just what we see and experience with our senses here in this world, opened the door for him to consider the spiritual reality that ultimately then led him to Christianity. Wow. He became a believer, but it took a long time. So it wasn't that immediate, accept Jesus into your heart. He, like Lewis, had to process it through. And I think that happens with a lot of people with story. But in the way that Lewis handles it in this, in this moment, where suddenly you have this girl going into a wardrobe and entering into an entirely different reality. And it is so real and plausible that like many wonderful, let's call them fairy tales and kid stories, 
it quickens the imagination, and that quickens our imagination often to God and to the realities of the Bible that we wouldn't necessarily embrace without our imaginations being engaged. You know, that that is so true. That's so amazing about how you've got symbolism, and many of us have grown up in the Christian faith being taught you have to understand salvation in this order. And yet God is is sharing his truth of redemption through Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross in other ways as well, including a work of fiction, which which Lewis wanted to. So here you've got this, this little girl walking through a closet or a wardrobe, coming out into what would be a dark forest, except there is this light burning. Now, that's Lewis at his best, using symbolism mm-hmm. to shine a light on his Savior. Exactly. Light in the darkness. I mean, the, the way you can unpack all of the images and all the symbolism points to so many different truths that point us to one truth, which, of course, is what he intended from the beginning. Right. He stated very clearly that his purpose in telling these stories was, first and foremost, to tell good stories, but more than that, even if people experience the stories as stories, then hopefully it's a good experience for them. But the deeper thing was they're going to experience a good story that's going to point them to Christ. Mm. He was very evangelistic in his thinking. But what he did was he did both things. He didn't sacrifice the story for the message, which is often too often something that we're tempted to do. We we get so busy preaching, we forget the story we're trying to tell. That's true. He wanted That's both true. to work equal so that, if nothing else, people would finish it. And even if they didn't catch on to the fact that the stone table scene was basically a representation of Christ on the cross, well, great. They've still read a good story. But what he re- really believed was that ultimately they would they would catch on, even though kids caught on faster than the adults did. Absolutely. And although we've said it on this program, and it's been said a lot of other places, the great lion figure in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is pointing to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That's what Lewis had in mind. Absolutely. And, and he did it in a way that used sort of a fairy tale motif to quicken the imagination, to bring it alive, to make us think sideways. Sideways is kind of a word I've been using a lot lately when I think about storytelling and about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we do what we do as storytellers, that a lot of times the most effective way to come at something is coming at it sideways, not head on. And Lewis employed that through his stories too. He could come at it kind of head on, but more often than not, he came sideways with other characters and other plot lines that would highlight the life and work of Jesus. Mm, So much so that we don't remember him as the scholar that he was. We remember him more as the storyteller that he also was as well. Mm -hmm. Paul McCusker, it's just been a blessing as well as informative to have you on Haven today. Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for asking me. If it comes to talking about size, how do we know you're a friend? Not meaning to be rude, Mr. Beaver. But we're strangers. Quite right, quite right. Here's my token. A handkerchief. Oh, of course. It's my handkerchief. The one I gave to poor Mr. Tumnus. That's right. Poor fellow. Got wind of the arrest for it actually happened and handed this over to me. 
He said that if anything happened to him, he must meet you and take you on to... to... Tips. Come here. Come here. They say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps has already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was, but the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different, as if something jumped inside of them. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. <sighs> Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. <sighs> Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and you realize that it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. And what about Mr. Tumnus? Where is he? Shh, not here. I must bring you where we can have a real talk and also dinner. Come now, follow me. Follow me. Thank you for joining us on our Great Stories podcast with Charles Morris. I had a great time with Paul McCusker, and I really appreciate his creativity, and I hope you enjoyed hearing some of his audio production based on the Chronicles of Narnia. In fact, I'd like to invite you to get your own CD set in a special edition collector's tin that contains all seven original stories and nearly 22 hours of entertainment. Just go to haventoday.org to make your gift and ask for your copy. And if you want to hear more content like what you heard on today's episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review. Just go, if you want also, to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you once again for joining me here on Great Stories with Charles Morris.